Amen. Now, ladies, don't ever let them give you an excuse they can't sing. Some of you got it on your phone. You just go back and say, hey, I got a picture of you. Actually, I got a video of you singing in church from the whole world, from the whole world. Mark chapter 10 this morning, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 13. The passage of scripture came up really after the last passage, as it typically does. I didn't really schedule it like this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does things past what I can even plan. I can't think of a better passage to really talk about that on the Sunday morning when it comes to Father's Day is the importance of bringing children to Jesus, feeding children to Jesus. We see this passage, Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, And they brought young children unto him, uh, to him, that he should touch them, and the disciples rebuked those that brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Let's pray. Father, we again acknowledge that you are the perfect father. What compassion, what love, what kindness. But yet, we know that there are other aspects of you, Lord, that we must fear you because you are an an awe, a God of, that we give awe to and respect and wonder. And you're a God that to be acknowledged. And you're a God of wrath and holiness and justice. And there's so many facets of God, Lord, we, but we come today and we're just thankful to be able to be called your, your child, your children. Lord, we often disobey you. We're like often the children of this world. We, we know you. We know what's often what's right, but oftentimes we choose in our disobedience to go a different direction. So I pray, Lord, today that you'd help us get this perfect picture of Jesus Christ, who is, of course, as you said in your word, that Jesus is as the Father, the Father and the Son are one. Help us get this perfect picture of the Father through Jesus Christ and how we should relate to others and to children especially this morning. Bless today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here this morning we see the biblical account of Jesus in his relationship to, to children, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Why is it called synoptic? Because you get a synopsis of what's going on in the life of Jesus. John is a little bit different. Very few miracles that we find in Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that you find, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke that you find in John because John was written from the perspective of John, which is a little bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in these synoptic gospels, we find this all this same story of these children coming to Jesus. And actually, interesting enough, this, this account, this biblical account of the children coming to Jesus, it always precedes the account of the rich young ruler or the rich young man found in 17, verse 17 that we'll look at next week. But from this synoptic gospels, we see some very important truths. As I mentioned, even in, during our prayer, we get to see the relationship of Jesus to children. The Bible talks, Jesus said that I and my Father are one. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. You see the human representation of who the Father is. They're not, oh, they're, they may be different in authority, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but when you see Jesus, you see the Father. You see the Father. So we learn more about Jesus. And what is the essence of Christianity? The essence of Christianity is learning how to be Christ-like. So what better example of a father that you can find in the scriptures than to see how Jesus related to children? And that's what we see. 
See, there's no doubt today that masculinity is on attack, isn't it? I mean, there used to be Father's Knows Best. That was the show. Now it's Family Guy. A little bit different. Used to be children used to be read uh, stories by their kids uh, before they go to bed. Now the drag queen reads to their children. It's a little bit different. Our society is changing. There is a war against masculinity in our world. You want to read more about it? Read The Feminization of America. I started reading it. I had to put it down. Why is that? Because there has to be a weak society before the Antichrist will come. You see, if you have weak homes, if you have a weak father, you have a weak home. You have a weak home, you have a weak church, you have a weak church, you have a weak county, city, nation, world. It starts with the dads. It starts with the men. Where are the men? See, the men are accountable. All the books of the Bible written by men. 66 books, all written by men. Pastors are to be, actually, the the Bible says that men are to be pastors. Not women. No matter what the Southern Baptists say, it's men that are supposed to be pastors. Men are supposed to be leaders of their home. God has called men to lead. God has called us to, to lead. Where are the men? Jesus was a manly man. He wasn't effeminate. No matter what the pictures show, he is a manly man. He is the essence of all humanity. He's a man. And yet in his manliness, he was tender and caring and compassionate and loving. He was a man, the son of man. What do we learn about this one called Jesus Christ? What do we learn about this scene here in Mark chapter 10? First of all, we see in verse 13, if you look there again, it says, And they brought the young children unto him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought him. We see, first of all, the desires of the parents. The desire of the parents were bring their children unto Jesus. Uh, this word children in this means a general term for, for children. But in the book of Luke, it actually is a little more specific. It talks about actually even the unborn, the babies, the, the infants, the, the real small children. And these parents were trying to bring their children, their little, little babies, or even pregnant mothers were coming unto Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus. They heard about the miracles of Jesus. They heard about what, what Jesus was doing. So naturally, these new parents are having these newborns wanted to, to bring these children to Jesus. It was, a, it was, it was the, we see the nature of the desire. It was, a, it was a common practice. We go back to the Old Testament. Like I'd give you account after account of Old Testament a patriarch who laid their hands on their children for blessing. We see it in Abraham. We see it in Jacob. We see it throughout the Old Testament. There was times where the men of God would pray specifically for their children. They would lay hands on them. So it was a, it was a natural desire. It was a noble desire. What better place to take your children than to Jesus? <laughs> Dear friend, I, I, we, we take our children a lot of places in the summertime, summertime. Fun, fun summertime, lots of places you can go with your kids, but there's no better place to take your child than church. <laughs> I mean, dear friend, I, I, I sometimes when I go door to door and invite folks to the church, I say, I say, you know, your kids, they need, a, they need a Christian education. Of all the educations in the world that a, Christ, that a kid ch children need, they need to know the Bible. They, need the, they didn't know the B-L-B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the books for me. So beyond algebra, beyond calculus, 
beyond Algebra 2, Micah, beyond all these different studies, you need to know the Bible. Amen? Uh, I took Algebra. I think it took me. I think it took me. Amen? Amen. But dear friend, we need to know the Bible. That's why they brought their children to Jesus, because they knew that going to Jesus was a good thing. And it's still good to bring your children to Jesus. That's why we have kids clubs. That's why we have uh, that's why we have Patch the Pirate. That's why we have Vacation Bible School. We want children to know about Jesus. Statistically, statistically, after the age of 18, most children do not trust in Jesus Christ. That's why we won't tell them at a young age. We want to train them in the way they should go. We're, we're supposed to nurture them, encourage them in the ways of the faith. So we see the, the nature of the desire, the nobility of the desire is a good thing. But, dear friend, it wasn't really, neutrality is not an option. What I'm saying is, for the, for, for the Christian father, it is a res, your responsibility to teach your children about God. It, 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 you say, well, I'm going to give my wife. You may delegate that to your wife, but you're going to be held responsible for it. You may delegate that to the Christian school, the Christian college, or the public school. You may delegate it, but let me say, before God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, when you stand before God, fathers, you're going to be responsible how their children knows the Bible and has a relationship with him. That's why it's important that we as fathers teach our children what is right. Teach the truth. Yes, of course, it's with the wife and the, 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 the tag team, if you will, of teaching and the truth of scriptures. But we have a great responsibility. We see it throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 1.8, my son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Proverbs 1.9, for they shall be an ornament of grace in thy head and chains about thy neck. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child the way he should go. When he is old, he will not repart from it. In the New Testament, we looked at this, this, this verse before. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You can go verse after verse after verse of the importance of fathers taking the time to teach the children. Sometimes, fathers, unfortunately, we get ourselves busy with work, W-O-R-K. That's a noble thing, but dear friend, even though you work and you should work, thank God for work, but that should not be an excuse not to take time with your children. How many a, how many a child has been neglected because, mom, because dad was out working 80 hours a week? And the reasons why they were, eight and, they were working 80 hours a week because they wanted to live better than the Joneses. It'd be better to live under the Joneses, spend time with children so they learn to, learn to know about God. What I'm saying, folks, it's not about getting stuff, having stuff. It's more important that you spend time because time, T-I-M-E, equals love. People say, I want, I want quality time. Quality time is only going to find when you do it during quality time. That's why you have to take the time to spend with your kids. You have to choose it. You say, well, I'm going to delegate it to a time on Saturday between 2 and 4. 2 and 4 won't show up. you got to make the time. Choose the time. Make the time. Choose the time. It can't be something that you say, well, I, I, I'll think about it. No, it's not a neutral thing. It's a choice. You see, friend, you got to teach your children what's right and wrong. There's too many temptations out there just to say, well, I think I'll just let them figure it out for themselves. No, 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 no. When they're little, you got to take the temptation away from you, from them. Oh, my little ones were thinking about putting that something in the socket. No, I took it away from them. 
Now when they're teenagers, I teach them so I don't have to be watching them because they're older. There's a difference between when they're young and difference when they're older. You have to teach appropriately. But dear friend, you have to spend time teaching. Do you take the time to teach your children? You say, preacher, my children are all grown up. You still have time, don't you? As long as you're breathing and they're breathing, you have opportunity to take the time to do it. Especially nowadays with phones and gizmos and gadgets, you can talk to somebody in, in Mozambique. <laughs> you can talk to somebody in Mozambique face to face if you choose to, if you choose to. Fathers, never give up your right and responsibility to teach your children. It's an op- awesome opportunity and obligation that God himself has given to every one of you. I hope you choose wisely. You see the desire of the parent for the discouragement of the disciples. Look at verse the end of the verse. But his disciples rebuked those that brought them. We see the surprise of the disapproval. His disciples rebuked them. Now you would think these people that by this time had spent three years with Jesus would know a little bit about Jesus. But it's not, it doesn't surprise me. I know people have been with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years, and they do crazy things. In fact, I do crazy things sometimes myself. How about you? I do, th- I do some things that, that probably Jesus wouldn't want me to do sometimes. Amen? Jesus, instead of, Jesus was watching his disciples, hoping they would listen to him, hoping they would follow his example. But instead of bringing the children to them, the disciples were saying, no, 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 stay away. Stay away. Stay away. Why was this true? Why were they doing that? Because they thought probably they were inconsequential. A lot of times people think kids are inconsequential, right? Oh, man, they're they're just trouble. They're just problems. Jesus didn't see their problems. He saw their potential. Every child has potential. Every person has potential. Oh, sometimes they're, they're not in the right home or not right environment. But you know what? Every person is one decision from being right with God. Oh, I can't tell you. I could spend the rest of the the time and through your time of eating Father's Day lunch talking about stories of people who grew up in wrong environments, wrong situations, difficult, tragic, dangerous, but but Jesus came by their life and it changed the world. I'm talking about murderers and drunks and wicked men from all all backgrounds and situations that Jesus came by their life. They heard about Christ and how Christ loved them so much that he died on the cross for their sins and their life was changed in a moment. Wasn't no, there wasn't no program. It wasn't no pill. wasn't no doctor. It was Jesus. Jesus can change a life in a moment. He did that to me. I was heading towards hell. Oh, party hardy Marty Moon in Taylor, South Carolina. I was going toward hell, but on April the 15th, 1989, Jesus saved my soul, and I'm now heading to heaven. He changed me, and he could change you. Oh, some of you out here in the last three years have told me your stories, how you were going the wrong way, how you were how you're heading towards hell. You heard a sermon. You were at camp. Mama talked to you. Daddy talked to you. you the prayers of moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers. Finally, God heard those prayers. And he called you unto himself, and you were saved. Oh, the disciples were making a bad decision, and sometimes we make that same bad decision. Instead of inviting children, instead of encouraging children, we think, well, you're not old enough to figure that out yet. But I can tell you what, kids, they're pretty swift. 
that means they're pretty smart. Most of my kids made a profession of faith before they were five years old. They're still here. They got saved, got baptized, serving Jesus. Amen. But kids, they can learn a lot by just watching. See, mom and daddy, it's not just what we say, it's how we live. Amen. It's how we live. It's how we live. We see the surprise and disapproval, but the severity and disapproval. It says they rebuked them. This is severe. It wasn't just like, go away. It's like, get out of here. I don't want you around. I don't want you near Jesus. Get, go, gone. (laughs) That type of rebuke. It was severe. It was to chide, to censor, to admonish, to charge sharply. Disciples didn't want any, any, any semblance of children being around Jesus. How sad it was. How sad it was. This word rebuke was used in the book of Mark when Jesus rebuked the demons, rebuked the storm, when he warned the disciples not to reveal himself as the Messiah, when Peter was rebuked of Jesus, the Lord's rebuke of Peter, and the crowd's rebuke of a blind man. It was a strong, strong word. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They rebuked. I remember hearing a pastor's testimony. Pastor Tom Sexton, Dr. Tom Sexton, Cape Coral, Baptist Church there, Cape Coral. I think about that church. I remember him sharing a testimony when he was a teenager. It was a tragic accident among him and his friends. One of his friends was killed in an accident. And I remember him sharing a testimony how he didn't, they didn't know what to do. They were, they were just astonished. They were, they were just they were shell-shocked about a fellow teenager being killed in an auto accident. And they went to church. They didn't know what else to do. They, they went to church, and it was the end of a service. I think they went to Emmanuel Baptist Church. that used to be pastored by a good friend of mine, Matt Boer. They came to church, and some, somebody there, some, some, somebody showed them love, showed them compassion, and showed them care. And they were so grateful for it because they had been to another church. And when they walked in the back door, the preacher said basically to them, get out. They saw teenagers. They saw problems. This preacher saw problems. They went to Brother Riley's church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. They, he saw potential. Because he saw potential in those teenagers, one is preaching right now down there in Cape Coral. The brother of Clarence Sexton, Crown College. Oh, dear friend, there's no telling what God can do with the individual life. We should always say, bring the children. Let us teach the children. Let us help the children. Help us to love the children. They gave a strong rebuke. We see the discouragement of the disciples, the desire of the parents, but the displeasure at their receptions. Look at verse 14. How did Jesus respond to their rebuke? It says, when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. It wasn't say a little bit displeased. It didn't say he was kind of agitated. It doesn't say he kind of didn't like it. You know, kids, if you got your dad a tie, he might have kind of like maybe didn't like it. Gave him the, you, got, you got him something he really didn't want. He might be just a little bit displeased. He's not going to show it. You could have just done what I did. I just went ahead and bought it and gave it to my kids and said, give it to me. <laughs> that way you know, hey, it's done. It's over with. It's, it's, it's foolproof. It's done. It's good. You say, there's no surprise. I don't care about surprises. I want what I want. <laughs> no. This wasn't like, he wasn't guessing how Jesus felt about it. Are you sure you like that gift? Are you sure you don't like these kids coming? Or you do like them? No, the Bible says he was much displeased. The word much displeased involves a combination of very much pain, grief, resentment, downright indignation. 
He just got upset. Now, you don't see many times in the in scriptures where Jesus gets upset. He gets upset when things aren't right. See, sometimes a man needs to get upset. When things aren't, when things aren't right, when things aren't good, when things are, hey, they're, they're, they're having a flea market in the temple. He didn't like that. We took a whip, and he whipped them out of there. You see, that's Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. The very people he was, winning, he was whipping out of, the, out of the temple, he, he died for those. But it wasn't right. It wasn't right. It was wicked. The disciples holding back the children from Jesus, touching them and loving them and having shown compassion on them wasn't right. And this, it brought him indignation. It brought him much displeasure. This word, much displeasure, describes the reaction of the scribes and Pharisees to the children in the temple who are hailing Jesus as Messiah. The reaction of the ten disciples to the request of James and John for the chief seats in the kingdom. The reaction of some present when a woman anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. Remember that? The reaction of a synagogue official when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The term indicates that Jesus was agitated at the disciples for the way that they treated the children. Jesus was upset. Jesus was upset. We see the edict was displeasure. He said, suffer, permit the little children to come to me and forbid them not. This is a twofold explanation. It's positive, suffer, and negative, forbid them not. Let them come. Let nothing hinder them. Allow them to be with me. What you're doing, disciples, is wrong. Sometimes the best thing for us as disciples is to hear from the master say to us, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is wrong and need to correct it and do what's right. Because everybody in this room from time to time does what's wrong, right? We do what's wrong. And sometimes the best thing to do for us is hear what the Bible says and say, okay, I'm doing what's wrong. I need to change what I'm doing and do what's right. I need to do what's right. We see the explanation of this displeasure. For such is the kingdom of God. He's saying, bring them unto me because these children represent what the kingdom of God is all about. See, if you want to get in the kingdom of God, what you have to do, number one, if, you want to get, if you're going to be a person in the kingdom of God, you have to humble yourself. You have to humble yourself. See, we, when, we, when we get a little older, teenage age, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we start thinking we know something. <laughs> but to get saved, you have to realize you don't know anything. You don't know anything. See, the whole world, most of the world out there, if I was walk with you across the way, across the street, and I was knocking on the door, and I would say, hey, do you, if you died today, you know how to get to heaven. Many of those people would say, well, yeah, I think I'm okay. I think I'm, I think I'm going to heaven. And I would say to them, how do you know for sure if you were to die, to go to, go to, you'd go to heaven? They would say to me, 99% of the time, because I've been good. See, they don't, they don't understand that their goodness is sending them to hell. Because you're not saved based on your goodness. But that's the American way. So you get a raise if you're good, right? You get a promotion if you're good, right? You get advances if you're good, but in God's economy, doesn't make a difference if you're good or not, because none good. There's none good but God, because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all the same. Doesn't make a difference if you're rich, poor. Doesn't make a difference only you come the right track, the red, red, red track, the bad track, the good track. Doesn't make a difference how much money is in the bank. Doesn't make a difference what you drive. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. The Foot of the cross is level at the foot of the cross. It's level. The plane is level at the foot of the cross. See, you have to realize when you come into Christ, you don't know anything. And the only way I'm going to get saved is I've received the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. 
It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, children, is the, the kingdom of God is made up of people who are children. Not childlike, not, not childish, excuse me, not childish. Childish is, we've all seen childish kids who, you know, they throw a fit in Walmart and you run as fast as you can to the milk aisle to get away from those kids on the Frito aisle. We've all seen that and, and you hope you don't see that here down at Sunny's Barbecue or wherever you go eat. You hope you're not right beside those people for 30 minutes. You hope that the parents have taught their kids not to be childish. Now, I'm not talking about childish. I'm talking about childlike. All of us need to be childlike for such is the kingdom of God. Well-known evangelist D.O. Moody saw some kids that were converted after a service. They trusted Christ. There was, there, was, there was two kids and one adult, and he was asked about it. How many people were saved? He said two adults. The, the, people, the man who was asking D.O. Moody says two adults and one child. He said no, two children and one adult. The children have their whole lives to live for Christ. An adult only has half the time. Two and a half people were saved, two children, an adult. Dear friend, a child has a whole life to spend serving Jesus, living for Jesus. That's why we encourage them at a very young age to live for Jesus. We see the desire of the parents, discouragement of the disciples, the displeasure of the reception, but the desire of God. See, look at verse 15. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the, king, so receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. He took them up in their arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. We see his declaration, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. We teach children, we ought to be like adults, don't we? Grow up, grow up, grow up. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But it's important that children realize their responsibility. What do, what do children have? that often people don't have in this society. Children are trusting, aren't they? You tell a, you tell a child something, they'll just, they'll just believe you. Now, when they get to be our teenagers, they're going to basically disagree, disagree with you and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> but when they're children, when they're little bitty, they'll, you can go up to them and say, uh, this is true, and they'll believe you. They're trusting. Children are teachable. You can, you can teach a child. Hey, this is how you do it, and they'll follow after you. When they get a little bit older, no, they don't want to listen. They'll actually try to teach you. And then children are tender. The children are tender. Oh, children are, are tender. They're, they'll, they, they want to be comforted. They want to be cared for. They want to be loved. They want to, they want to be wanted. Oh, children are tender. Children are teachable. Children are trusting. We see his declaration. We see his deportment. What did Jesus actually do? It says he had compassion. We talked about his compassion. We see his compassion. He took them up in his arms. He cared about them. He put them, he brought them to himself and took them up in his arms. He showed his care. He showed his compassion. He showed his love. And not only that, he says he put his hands on them and blessed them. Again, like patriarchs of old, he took the time to talk to each and every one of them. Remember how when you was growing up, you, I saw it even this last year. You'd go at about, about Christmas time, you, the kids would go up and see Santa Claus. And he would have Santa, you'd get that picture. Mom would have to have the picture with Santa Claus on the knee. Take the picture. Some of you got it at home. And do it one at a time. The whole bunch wasn't with him. You see, with Jesus, I, I don't think he just said, bless you all, children. I think he took the time for each and every individual child. 
to bless them, to care for them, to love them. You see, Jesus loves each one of us. We often get the idea that God so loved the world, and he did, and he does. But God loves us individually, doesn't he? Put your name in that, for God so loved Chuck, or Bob, or Jennifer, or, or Troy, or Joe, or Harley, or Harley. God so loved you, despite what you've done, despite what you've been, God loves you. I'm so glad that God loves me. On this Father's Day, we need to be more like Jesus, don't we? Oh, we need to be more like Jesus. It's easy to be want to be like the world. What are some things we need to learn as fathers? We must learn to communicate compassion. We need to learn to communicate compassion. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, demonstrated his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Dads, your children need to know that you love them. You say, well, I said it about 10 years ago. No, say it every day. Say it as often as you can. How many young ladies, how many young ladies would not have fled their homes to the arms of some other man if their daddies would have only told them how much they loved them? You say, preacher, that actually happened? I hear about it all the time. I hear from women all the time, oh, if I'd heard how my dad loved me. Oh, if I'd have known, I'd have known how much he cared. Oh, if he'd have showed it, if he'd have demonstrated it, if he'd have said it, if he'd have lived it. Men, do you show your love? You say, well, that's, that's weak. No, Jesus did it. It's not weak to show your compassion. It's not weak to show you, you care. It's not weak. It's the most manly thing you can do. Jesus wept. He wept over, his, over Lazarus. If Jesus, the Son of God, wept, can't we weep, have compassion do you, does it bother you when you see things that are wrong? Does it bother you when your children go astray? Does it, does it bother you? Do, you? do you reach out and care? Do you show your compassion? You say, that's, that's, my, that's what my wife does. I'm the, I'm the tough guy. She's the tender. I, I understand that. But dear friend, what, what, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean we shouldn't share it ourselves. Does it mean, does it mean we should show, shouldn't show compassion and love and care? Do we? Do we? Fathers, not only communicate compassion, miscommunicate truth. Because we're responsible. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We have to be the one who tells the truth. Because, <laughs> you dear friend, when it comes to fathers, the buck stops with you. Hey, men, don't go over there and say, what does mama say? <laughs> what does mama say? What daddy say? Because you know what the kid's going to do. They're going to find the... the the, the way of least resistance and go that way. If it's with you, they'll go with you. If it's with mom, they'll go with mom. You did it, now they're going to do it. They're doing it. <laughs> you have to tell the truth. No, it's not right to do that. You see, you see fathers, your, your goal in life is not to be their friend, to be their father. They got hundreds of friends. You have to be responsible and say no. If you know it's wrong, not just to, well, if, if I say that, they won't like me anymore. Your friends say what's right. Speak the truth. Speak it in love, but speak it. They may not like you anymore. They may not talk to you anymore, but you spoke the truth. You don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be harsh about it. You don't have to be an ogre or a barbarian about it. But what does the Bible say? Always bring it back to what does the Bible say? What is the biblical principle here? Is it right? 
Is it wrong? If you're not sure, if you doubt it, don't do it. We must show compassion. We must speak the truth. And thirdly, we must set the example. Remember, the essence of Christianity is to be like Christ. What is the greatest goal of a father? Our greatest goal, father, our greatest goal fathers, should not be millionaires. Our greatest goal is not to own 100 properties. Our greatest goal is not to have a, a beautiful retirement plan. Our greatest goal is not to have all this money left over for our kids, though we should take care of our kids and those kids after us. Your greatest goal, Father, is to be like Jesus Christ. That is your greatest goal. All the other goals are subservient to that goal. Because the essence of Christianity is to be like Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 13, 15, For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You do as I've done to you. Be like me. Be like me. I don't know about you men, but I fall short from that so many times. I fail on a daily basis. Jesus is the only person who walked this earth who was perfect. <laughs> now, it's hard for us men to admit because we're all proud, Phil, that we fail. But dear friend, all of us in this room, if you're honest, all of us men, we fail every day. We fail every day. Sometimes we say do stuff and we do the same. We, we say do the stuff and we, we do the very same thing we tell them to do or not to do. Sometimes we, we, uh, we, we, we think we're, we're going the right way, we're going the wrong way. Sometimes the best thing to do is just humble yourself and admit you're wrong. That's hard for a man to do because, men, we, we, don't, we don't like to admit we're wrong. We don't like to, hey, if we're going, we're going from here to Sebring, we know exactly where to go, and we won't stop to get directions. We won't look at a map. We think we know it. You get instructions manual, we'll throw the manual away, and we'll think we know how to figure that thing out. And we'll spend all day figuring out. We could find it in five minutes. We just looked on the Internet. Oh, man, we got, we got all type of issues. The best thing we can do is say, you know what, Father, forgive me. Yes, I struggle. I have problems. I have difficulties. I fail. But by the grace of God, I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to be like Jesus. I was reading a missionary story, missionary, a missionary story about John Patton. John Patton grew up in Scotland, and uh, he had some wonderful parents. But ultimately, he went to the New Hebrides Islands. The only, only problem about going to the New Hebrides Islands is they were savages and cannibals. <laughs> kind of sad when you, when you think about, well, I'm going to go somewhere. Brother Nate, I'm going to go somewhere, Brother Nate, and, and if I go there, they may eat me. Well, that's probably not somewhere I think about going. Maybe I'll just go to New Zealand. <laughs> or how about I just go to uh, High Springs? Or how about I just go to Gainesville uh, or, or somewhere else? But go somewhere that actually eat me? He did it, and he won them to Jesus. But how did he do it? Because he had a father that loved him, prayed for him, encouraged him, guided him, directed him. And by the grace of God was there for him. That's what he had. That's what he had. And dear friend, if it wasn't for John Patton's dad, John Patton wouldn't have been on the mission field. Dear friend, you and I, by the grace of God, have to choose how we're supposed to live. Fathers, don't live in the land of if. If I would have had a better example. No. If I'd have had a better dad. No. 
if I was in better circumstances. No. One of the weakness of men is we like to give excuses. There's no excuses. Don't live in excuses. That's what your flesh wants to do. If I'd only, if I'd only, if I'd only. No, no. Quit the if I only. Get, leave the land of if I only. And live in the land of doing the will of the Father. Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. Your life is not chance. Your life is about your choices. Choose today. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. I failed in the past. Who hasn't failed in the past? Choose to be the father you need to be today for Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love and your compassion. I pray, God, that you would help us to live for you. Oh, we've all failed. <laughs> we've all struggled. But, dear Father, we thank you. There's forgiveness with you. Maybe there's someone in this room who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, there's never been a time in your life where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Say, preacher, I know about God, but I don't know Jesus. If I died today, I'm not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody like that at all today? Preacher, I'm not sure if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I want to. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure if I died today, I would go to heaven. Jesus Christ died on that old rugged cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. He rose again the third day so you could have everlasting life. Oh, dear friend, he wants to save you. Would you be saved today? Preacher, I don't know for sure if I was to die today, I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're a father. You say, Preacher, I'm not, the fa- I'm not being the father I need to be. I've struggled. I've failed. I raise my hand with you. I raise my hand with you. I've struggled. I've failed. I've fallen. But the Bible says a just man follows seven times, but he gets up again. It's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you get back up. You say, preacher, I've struggled, I've failed, I've fallen, I've not been the example I need to be to my kids. But by the grace of God today, today, not tomorrow, not next week, but today, by the grace of God, I want to live for Jesus. That's my prayer today. You can do that as a wife. Preacher, pray for me. Anybody like that today? I admit, amen. Amen. Hands all over. Anybody else? Be honest. I struggle. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. You need to be saved. Would you come talk to Brother Clayton? If you're a girl, we'll find a girl for you. If your father said, I'm struggled, I have struggled, but by the grace of God, from this point on, I want to live for Jesus. As the piano plays, would you come? This is the invitation. The invitation is for you to make that decision. Person in your life, this is an old altar. Come to the altar. Pray. Ask God to help you, to give you the grace, to give you the strength to do what you need to do, to say what you need to say, to live how you need to live, to act like you need to act, to go back to that daughter or that son and say, I, I, I failed, I made mistakes, I was wrong. That takes a man to do that, a real man to do that. Would you do that today? Would you go to them in love and compassion and care? Speak the truth. We got some fathers here that know to go to their tip need to go to their children and tell them they're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way, kid. I love you, but you're going the wrong way. Father, speak the truth. Show compassion. Father, set the example. Are you the example you need to be in your house? I ask my wife's job. No, dear friend, it's your job. It's your job. Be the example. The servant of Christ. 
Be the example that Jesus set.